Before, we had a future and we had a sense of how we're, what we're doing today is going to help me get to where I'm going. We have to recreate that in a very creative way. And that means we need to think about what are some of the things that we can control? What are some of the things that we can do right now to assert control, to protect yourself, to protect your community? From the University of California, Irvine, I'm Aaron Orlowski, and you're listening to the UCI Podcast. What day is it? For so many of us, the days are fading one into the next. Monday feels like Tuesday, and Tuesday feels like Friday, and Sunday, how many days are in a week? How long has quarantine even lasted? Many of the usual markers of time have ceased to exist. Allison Holman is an associate professor in the Sue and Bill Gross School of Nursing here at UCI, and she studies trauma. It turns out that our collective sense of time has been seriously warped by the steady trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic. To find out what's going on with our sense of time and to see how we can start to stabilize it, I called up Professor Holman. Professor Holman, thank you for joining me today. Where are you talking to me from? Hi, Aaron. Thank you for the invitation. I'm calling, I'm speaking to you from my home office. Just like the rest of us. <laughs> and what day is it? Oh, I don't know. What day is it? I woke up this morning not being sure myself. Um, today <laughs> is Monday. All right. Well, I'm glad that we were able to get that figured out. So all kidding aside, why has time felt so off during the pandemic? Well, this pandemic has had a profound impact on our lives in many ways. And one of the things that people often don't realize is how much we depend on having a sense of continuity between our past, our present, and our future. We have a sense of what we're going to go do in, for the day and why we're doing it. Maybe we're doing it to make money so that we can pay for something we want to have later on in the future. So we often have this past, present, future, somewhat of a continuity to maintain our mental health and well-being. When the pandemic hit, our lives changed. Everything changed. And we were asked to go home to work. We places shut down. Everything about our lives changed in a way that has profoundly impacted the sense of future. And so people, many people are not feeling like the future is ever going to be what they thought it was. So all of the illusions that we had had about what our future would be are now called into question. The pandemic has threatened us with an uncertain and uh, an ambiguous threat. And so all of our futures have changed. So that sense of continuity in time that we usually have has been broken up. And now we're living day to day in our homes, not sure what the next day will be. How are we going to be going back to work in our offices or, or in our workplaces? Are we going to be doing these other things? And so that has, has disrupted our sense of time. And we depend on that sense of time in order to be able to function in life. And so it's been challenging for a lot of people. 
I think for other people, there are some people who are working hard and having to work even harder by going into factories and the meatpacking plants and the in the grocery stores, people who are essential workers, they've been going, their sense of time may be disrupted because now they've got to change their entire routines and they have to work even harder. And days may just kind of blur into another one after the other for them, which is another way that time, the sense of time can be warped. But again, for them, just like anybody else, the sense of the future is kind of twisted. And so, it's made life a little bit more challenging for a lot of people. So in a sense, is this disintegration of our sense of time, is that a kind of trauma or does it lead to a kind of trauma? It itself isn't the trauma. It is a symptom of facing a trauma. So when you face an event that is profoundly threatening and frightening, it's often necessary, and this is evolutionarily so, I mean, it's necessary when we have something directly threatening us, for us to cope with that by focusing in on how am I going to deal with this threat that's here right now in front of me. The threat, unfortunately, is ambiguous, uncertain, and invisible. Being forced into the narrow moment of the present of dealing with this pandemic has made the past, which is part of who we are and part of who we, what has made us who we are today, and the future have kind of just fallen away. And that's the temporal disintegration. That's when you lose that sense of, of continuity in time. And in doing that, it has disrupted our way of thinking. So the temporal disintegration is what happens in the face of a major threat and a major trauma for some people. So you've, you've looked at all kinds of traumatic events. Uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic is the one that's going on right now, but you've studied uh, everything from Southern California fires in, in the 90s to the Boston Marathon bombings to, to 9-11. Uh, what's really unique about the, this current situation uh, and, the ty- and the type of trauma it's creating? That's a great question, Aaron. So what's unique about this particular event is that this event is not a singular event that's over. So 9-11 ushered in an era of addressing major issues around terrorism. But 9-11 happened in New York City and in Washington, D.C. and in the fields of Pennsylvania. It happened, but the event itself ended. Now, there were many consequences to it, but it didn't stop our futures. This pandemic has had a more profound impact on our sense of safety in the world in being able to go out. We have many deaths. We have many people sick. We have some communities worse hit than others. Communities of color in particular are being very hard hit, especially the black community. And so what we're seeing is this event is continuing. It's going on and it's going on. And the chronic nature of the event is, is very different from prior events. It's also different in the sense that 
what we're seeing is that that chronic event is unfold as it's unfolding. We see punctuated acute stressors that occur across over time because for example in the case of in new york it's like they had the pandemic unfolding but then all of a sudden some of the hospitals just got really heavily hit with all these cases so that was an acute exacerbation of what's going on that's now kind of winding down a little bit but you know should there be another outbreak and people are flooding into the hospitals because they're really really sick that can create a very high acute stressor for people at the same time. It's a, it's a unique event that has multitude, a multitude of stressors associated with it. And that's the other thing I want to point out. There's a lot of secondary stress. So we have the chronicity of the pandemic itself. That then led to and exacerbated issues of unemployment. Now we've got a huge uh, double-digit unemployment rates. And people wondering, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to put food on the table? And it's it's frightening. And that stuff is very stressful for a lot of people. So there are many, many stress. That's just one example of a secondary stressor. I mean, other secondary stressors include essential workers who have to go to work. And they when they go to work, they wonder, am I going to get exposed to this? And am I going to be carrying it home to my family? These are all secondary stressors that people are experiencing. So it's a, a chronic event that has a lot of these secondary stressors associated with it. Yeah. And so then, I mean, it sounds like it's, you know, the, the pandemic hits and then it, the acute stressors come back repeatedly. And then there's also a long tail of various types of other stressors as time goes on. One other question about some some research that you're doing. In March, you were awarded a $200,000 rapid grant from the National Science Foundation to survey more than 6,000 people about the pandemic. Can you tell us some more about that? What, what will you be looking at? We have a study, a national study that we're doing, um, and we are looking at uh, how Americans are responding to the unfolding pandemic. So we have measures of emotional response, measures of their behavioral response, how much are they actually engaging in some of the recommended behaviors? What are their beliefs about this pandemic? What are their attitudes about the pandemic? How do they see it? We have we're asking questions about their exposures. What are the various ways that they're being exposed to this pandemic? And we're, what, our, what we're trying to understand is how are these early responses associated with people's behavioral and other emotional, mental, cognitive health behavior, health um, changes over time. The grant that we got was to conduct two surveys. And we have 60, over 6,500 people in the study. It's a nationally representative panel of Americans. And we rolled it out in three different cohorts. So each cohort was given about a 10-day period over the course of a month. And they were sequential. So 2,100, a little over 2,100 in one, 2,200 in another, 2,100 in another. So we have people over time, we saw how changes in those three cohorts in the emotional 
behavioral, et cetera, response over that one month period. And we'll look at how those are associated with downstream mental and physical health impacts, as well as behavioral uh, uh, impacts on people's lives. Will you also be looking at the types of media that these survey respondents are, are consuming? Yes, absolutely. Very important question. Thank you for asking that. That's one of the forms of exposure that we're talking about. So we have direct exposure to the virus and to the pandemic, and we have indirect exposure, which is basically through the media. So we've asked questions about how much media people are consuming, how much they trust the media that they're consuming, where they're getting their information from, what are the sources of media exposure that they're getting, so that we can actually look at how some of those how the media is helping to shape the response to the pandemic. I've gotten used to thinking of the media as just an exposure. Because <laughs> for so many people, uh, I mean, in this pandemic situation, so many people are directly or sort of indirectly affected either by knowing family members or friends who have uh, gotten the virus or, or they're experiencing financial ramifications. Um, but everyone, has also been exposed to media and the stories about the pandemic um, to varying degrees, whether they've been saturated or not. So that'll, that'll be really interesting to, to see the results. Can you tell us anything about what you've found out so far or when you might expect to, to be able to share results from that study? I can't really tell you about the results too much right now because we, are, we have papers under review currently um, for the initial responses, but... Um, you know, it's very important to pay attention to where you're getting your information from. And I can tell you that one of the things that I think has been particularly problematic in the United States is just the fact that there's so many different sources of information and they're all, you know, there's a lot of different information coming from different places. And that can create confusion. It can create issues uh, with people not being sure exactly what to believe, right? I'm just like, what should I believe here? What is accurate? What isn't? Um, and, you know, one of the things that I didn't mention previously, but I should mention, is that we, are also, we also have in our, in our survey um, uh, a little bit of information about how the degree to which people are experiencing this sort of sense of a loss of their future and one of the things that I'm planning to look at is how does this sort of this, this feeling of the future being compromised, the future not being there in the way it was, how is that going to what's that going to do uh, in terms of how we feel about our, our emotional state, our mental state, our, our physical health? How, are, how is that loss of a future, that sense of the future being gone going to impact our mental and physical health? down the road. That's a really important part of what I'm planning to look at. And I'll look at that over time. Yeah, that sounds incredibly interesting. So looking towards, you know, as you just said, looking towards the, the future now um, and how our sense of future has been disrupted, are there any recommendations that you would give us about how we can manage this stress from the pandemic? Um, you know, some ways for us to sort of gain a bit more control over our future right now. You mentioned a pivotal word 
in your question, which is the word control. One of the things that makes people feel like the future is not there is a sense of lacking a sense of agency, a sense of control over what's going on. We're going to have to do some major mental adjusting to see and to look for and deliberately, consciously look for what we can do. I can't go to my office to do my work. I can't meet with the, my, my research team in person. What can I do to make sure that I have my, my work going on or, or my life going on? What can I do to control, to have a sense of control over what's going on in my life? Before we had a future and we had a sense of how we're, what we're doing today is going to help me get to where I'm going. We have to recreate that in a very creative way. And that means we need to think about what are some of the things that we can control? What are some of the things that we can do right now to assert control, to protect yourself, to protect your community? And that's something that I think people need to focus on. So, for example, you can use a, wear a face mask every time you go outside. That not only will help protect you somewhat, but it will also help protect people in your community if for some reason you have the COVID-19 virus and you are sneezing or coughing or breathing heavily. You know, the mask on your face will protect other people. I would also argue that taking care of your community, helping thinking about this from a social responsibility perspective, it's in everybody's interest to have every community safe and to have every community healthy, regardless of who they are or where they are or what they are. Because it's in our interest that way, it helps us. If we can do something to help people in our neighborhood, to maintain a strong and healthy community, that strong and healthy community in, comes back to support us as we are dealing with whatever it is that we're dealing with. So creating that sense of community and that sense of supporting each other is really important. So I emphasize the idea of thinking about this from a place of social responsibility and thinking about the disease at, from a, a place of, of compassion, and caring about other communities that are maybe being hard hit and doing what you can to help them because that ultimately will come back and help you and it can give you a sense of control because ultimately you're helping control the disease that's such a good lesson that uh doing what what we can to to uh, help others uh, and make sure that we're not playing a role in spreading the the diseases that those actions also help us have better mental health and a better sense of, of our own future. Absolutely. Uh, that's such a great lesson. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today uh, on the UCI podcast. We, we really appreciated it. Thank you, Aaron, for the opportunity. Thank you. The UCI Podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. For more information about all things COVID-19, please visit oc-covid19.org.